Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. Blessed be the name of the Lord when he gives, when he takes, when we experience victory, when we suffer loss. Blessed be the name of the Lord in the dead of winter. Blessed be the name of the Lord in the beauty of spring. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen? Um, welcome to Windsor Road Christian Church. If this is your first Sunday here, my name is Randy. I'm uh, the preaching minister here, and um, we're glad you're here today. And I hope that um, hope that you can, before you get in your car and leave here, you can say, "Blessed be the name of the Lord." I really, I really hope that. No matter if you've been in the dead of winter or enjoying the beauty of spring, um, we are in a mini-series, I guess, called Family 101, and um, today we're going to talk about uh, learning to say, blessed be the name of the Lord, (laughs) all right? And um, I want to talk about today's uh, session by telling you about Dr. Henry Cloud, who is a Christian psychologist, or he's a psychologist who happens to be a Christian. He's a guy. That's who he is. He's a dude. Henry Cloud. He's written a book called Integrity. And uh, in it, he told about a session that he had with parents. And he was talking about uh, rearing children with successful character. After the talk, there was a Q&A time, fielded questions, from moms and dads, and uh, a mother raised her hand and asked Dr. Cloud this question. She said, if you could tell parents what one thing, what one thing, what one thing is most important to teach our children about success, what would that one thing be? And without blinking, Henry Cloud said, I would teach them how to lose. I would teach them how to lose. Which surprised me when I read that. You know? And that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about teaching our children to lose. Teaching our children to lose. Now, I'm just curious. How many of you remember when the last time you heard a parenting message on teaching your children how to lose. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? First service I asked that question, two people raised their hands. They were coaches. (laughs) Makes sense? I mean, it just really kind of isn't... I mean, teaching your children how to lose, that's not really a topic that has a lot of sizzle to it, does it? Huh? I mean, it's not really the kind of thing that you would kind of market out there, right? Right? Teaching your child to lose, to be a loser, just doesn't. <laughs> There's just not a lot of appeal to that, you know? Um, it's, it's kind of counterintuitive when you think about it. Why would we want to do that? Why would we want to teach our... It just, 
you know, I mean, we want them to succeed. We want them to do well. To, so to talk about it or to discuss it may plant seeds of losing in their minds and in their lives. And, and you know, who wants that? And if they start thinking about losing, then they're going to lose and then be losers. And I don't want my kid to be a loser. I'm not buying the book, period. And yet... If we go a little deeper, we may find some wisdom in that. We might find some wisdom in the conversation. And uh, so let's have a conversation about that this morning. Teaching your children to lose. And I want to do this in two ways. I want to I answer two questions this morning. The first is why. Why? Why, why would I want to... Do, teach my child how to lose, how to fail, disappointment. Why would I want to do that? Okay. And then secondly, what my, if I buy into that, what might that look like if I do? All right? So it's a why question and a how question. Why and how. First the why. First the why. Let's go back to Henry Cloud. Right? Mother raises her hand. What one lesson would you teach your child about? Being successful, Cloud says, I would teach them how to lose. And the mother said, why? Why would I want to teach them how to lose? And without blinking, Henry Cloud says, because they will. Oh, oh, that. <laughs> because they will, that's why. They will. Losing, losing is a reality. O on the earth that I live it's a reality. Listen to this quote. I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I have lost almost 300 games on 26 occasions. I've been entrusted to take the game-winning shot, and I missed. I have failed over and over and over again in my life, and that's precisely why I succeed. Michael Jordan. Hey, not every, you know what's interesting about that quote, too, is that <laughs> I've learned that when Michael Jordan was a sophomore at uh, Laney High School in North Carolina, he was cut from the varsity team. <laughs> what was the coach thinking? Well, he was thinking that he wasn't good enough. And he wasn't then. And so I failed over and over and over and over and over again. See, it's a reality. Not everybody makes varsity. Not every, and not everybody who makes varsity makes the first team. And not everybody who makes varsity, who makes the first team, has a winning team. Not everybody who's going to get straight A's. Not everybody's going to get into the college of choice. And not everybody who gets into the college choice, they're going to get the job they wanted. And not everybody's going to get promoted. Not everybody's going to score a touchdown. Not everybody's going to win state. Not everybody achieves material success. People lose. That's the deal. They lose. They lose games. They lose in school. They lose at work. They lose elections. They lose their jobs. They lose their health. They lose benefits. And some people lose their family. Some people lose their marriage. Some people lose their children. People lose. Why teach children to lose? Because they will. And, you know... 
love my kids, love my sons. And parents who love their children, I mean, they, they struggle. They, they, they struggle with the idea of watching their child fail. And, and then, you know, we kind of want to protect them from those kinds of failures and losses because we've been there and we have felt that. And so, you know, it, even in well-meaning ways, we try to protect them from that kind of loss. And yet, if, if we want them to learn how to ride their bicycle, we've got to take the training wheels off. We've got to. If they're going to ride. And whenever you take the training wheels off, you risk the child falling and scraping their shin or bruising or breaking a bone or even having your child refuse to ride the bike anymore at some point in time the child the child's going to make it on the bike or it's going to fall and you've got to risk that but if you don't take the training wheels off then they won't learn to ride and what will happen is if they don't come off we end up giving our children a false sense of mastery a false sense of competence And they fail. And, 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 and they fail in ways that are much more consequential than we had even considered. I, I read about this hypothetical exercise this week. Uh, follow along with me on this. Take your child, your child, and for five minutes, you're given a script as to what their life is going to be like. I mean, you get the whole screenplay, all right? Play by play by play. You're given the entire script of what will be that child's life. You get the script, and then you get an eraser. And you can edit it. And, and you can take out whatever you want, all right? Whatever, and you get five minutes now, you can take out whatever you want. You read in the screenplay that your child will have a learning disability in grade school. Reading, which comes easily for some kids, will be laborious for yours. In high school, your kid will make a great circle of friends, and then one of them will die of cancer. After high school, this child of yours will actually get into the college they wanted to attend, but while there, there will be a car crash, and your child will lose a leg and go through difficult depression. A few years later, your child's going to get that great job, but then they're going to lose that great job in an economic downturn. Your child's going to get married, and then they're going to go through the wrenching grief of separation. I mean, you get, you get this script of your child's life, and you have five minutes to edit it. Huh? What are you going to erase? What would you erase? Wouldn't you want to take out all the stuff that would cause them pain? Wouldn't you? Huh? John Ortberg is uh, an author and uh, he talks about him being a part of uh, the generation called helicopter parents. <laughs> okay, he says, we're always constantly trying to swoop into our kids' educational life and relational life and sports life to make sure no one's mistreating them, no one's disappointing them. We just want them to experience one unobstructed success after another. He tells a story about what happened one Halloween where this mother comes to his door, but there's no child, to trick or treat. Yeah. How come she didn't send in her kid? 
Mom says, well, the weather's a little bad. And she was driving. And I, she didn't want him to have to walk in the mist. And so why don't you send him to the door? You know, oh, he'd fall asleep in the car, so I don't want to have to wake him up. <laughs> Ortberg said, you know, I felt like saying, well, why don't you just eat all his candy and get his stomach ache for him too? That way he can be completely protected. <laughs> Are you nuts? You know, he didn't say that. That's what I would have said. He did say this, though. If you could wave a wand... If you could erase every failure, setback, suffering, and pain, would that be a good idea? And would it cause your child to grow up to be a better, stronger, more generous person? Isn't it possible? Isn't it possible that some people actually need adversity? They need struggle. They need setbacks. They may even need something like trauma to create in them and to craft in them that they might reach the fullest level of development and growth? I mean, so why would we want to rob them of that? Why? Why would we want to do that? Well, why teach our child about losing? Because they will. It's a reality. But what we need to understand is, is that that's, I mean, it's, the, the message is not, well, that's just the way it is. Suck it up. That's not the message. It's not. That's not the end game. No, no. No. I probably shouldn't have used that phraseology. Suck it up. I'm talking to men here. Gentlemen. I'll tell you what the end game is, though. The Apostle Paul talks about the end game in 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 10. It's up here on the screen. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we even despaired of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. And here's the end game. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. That's the end game right there. God uses the reality of loss to teach us to rely on him who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such deadly peril, and he will, he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayer. Why teach children to lose? Because it's a reality. They will. But it's a reality that God uses to teach them and to teach us to rely on Him and Him alone. That's the message. That's the message. Some of you have been a part of uh, uh, our Insight class, uh, Shepherding Your Child's Heart by Ted Tripp. Uh, great great course, great, great teaching. And uh, um, in one of his chapters, <laughs> he talks about, he, is, 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 he talks about how, how parents, we need to stop trying to protect our children because when we, when we hover too much, 
we prevent their growth in relying on the God of this universe. And he goes to 1 Samuel chapter 17. You remember that story about David and Saul and Goliath and nobody would take the field, but David, the boy, goes up to Saul, 1 Samuel 17, 33. Saul says, you're not taking the field, young man. You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a boy. You are a boy, and he's been a fighting man from his youth. All right? Here's what David said to Saul. This is great. He says, well, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep, and when a lion or bear came and carried it off, a sheep, this is the boy talking. This is not David, who's the king, you know, after he secured the kingdom. The boy is talking now. And, and he... You know, when a lion or bear came and carried it off, I went after it. He doesn't say he went to the zoo. Okay. He's, saying, he's saying, these predators came after my father's sheep, carried it off. I went after it, struck it. The boy said this, rescued the sheep from his mouth. But when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair. The boy is saying this now. Struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. What's this? What's, what's Goliath? What is he? Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the same to him. He's just, a, it's, it's all business. It's not personal. It's just business. I'm going to take care of him like I took care of the lion, like I took care of the bear. Why? Verse 37, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion. One swipe from a lion's paw and you're done. David survived that because the Lord delivered him. And here's what Ted Tripp says. He says, why is it we can see that David learned to trust God in the thick of things as a boy with a lion and a bear, and yet we think that our children cannot learn those lessons of faith as well? Huh. Good question. What is worse, we set a life before our children that does not even require faith. We give them a keepable standard that casts them on their own resources, turning them away from the cross. Parents, why do we do that? God uses loss because it's a reality to teach us to rely upon him. And I'll tell you, God, listen, We're, we're concerned about our kids doing well. I get all of that. But listen, God, God, God is not in the success business. God, God, God is not interested one lick about me feeling feelings of success. Or my sons. He's not. He, God is not in the success business. And God is not in the failure business either. He's not. God is in the refining business. That's his business. He is in the character formation business. He is in the fashioning of Randy and Sarah and Ben and Brandon into the likeness of Jesus Christ business. That's what business God is in. He's not in the success business. He's not in the failure. Hey, success. You know what? If it's a tool that God can use to make me more like Jesus, then he uses the tools, and some of those tools may be the tools of success, like how Joseph did in the book of Genesis, or like how Queen Esther did in the book of Esther. You bet, God, it's just a tool that God uses to fashion. And you know what? So is failure, and so is disappointment. 
So God says, here's the tool. I want you more like my son, and I'm going to determine which tool works best on you to make you like Jesus. And when we think that way, church family, then we can understand that we can accept loss and its reality to help me rely on him. We can receive it not as from the hand of an angry, moody judge. We can receive it as from the loving hand of a father. It's a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift that we need to receive from the God who is interested in shaping me into the likeness of his son. Shaping me and shaping my boys. I, the Apostle Peter is, nails this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Take a look. In this you rejoice... Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. So you're tested, the gold's tested, and the end game is that that you may be found to the result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And and when Peter wrote those words and talked about the refining and the testing of the precious metal, Peter wrote those words in a province that that had refined technologically the ability to to purify precious metal. And and it involved two things. Heat... (laughs) Extreme heat and time. And gold would be uh, exercised from the ground and it would be impure when it was taken out of the ground and mined. And then it would be put in uh, like a, a clay vessel, a clay pot. And then it would be uh, immersed then with in salt water and then intense heat over days would occur. And a chemical reaction would happen over this intense heat. And the impurities would just dissolve out of the gold. And what would come out of that process would be 98% pure gold, which which was the real stuff back then in the ancient world. That's what God's interested in in our children's lives. High heat, long period of time equals pure product, huh? Why would we want to rob our children of that? See? Why teach our children to lose? Because they will. Losing's a reality. But in light of that reality, the lesson is that we can learn to depend upon God. Someone once asked uh, Prime Minister Winston Churchill what it was that prepared him most to stare Hitler in the face when all the other nations of Europe collapsed. What prepared you to stare Hitler in the face and lead Great Britain through World War II? And this was what Winston Churchill said. He said, it was the time, all the things that prepared him most, he said, it was the time that I repeated a class in grade school. And the questioner said, you mean you flunked a grade? 
Churchill said, I never flunked in my life. I was merely given a second opportunity to get it right. (laughs) That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. God wants to refine us. And so he gives us the gift of losing reality so that we will rely on him. That's the why, okay? Now the how. Now the how. Let's talk about that. Lesson number one. How how do we teach our children to lose? Lesson one, let them. Let them. Your child gets cut from the team. Or your child's team gets eliminated from the tournament. You don't like the referee's call before you storm the court. Just let the law stand. Okay? Let the law stand. Your child gets an 89 instead of a 90. When your child forgets his or her homework and, and, and therefore although the assignment was completed and all of the answers were correct, wasn't submitted on time, and therefore your child gets a zero. Before you go marching off to the parent-teacher conference like Wolverine from the X-Men, listen. <laughs> Let your child deal with it. Let your child deal with it. Child was the one who, your child was the one who forgot the assignment. Yeah. I had one parent come up to me afterwards and said, where was this sermon 20 years ago? I said, did you think I was smart enough to figure that out 20 years ago? What? And the parents said to me about their child that this, this, this very s- scenario happened and the uh, assignment was not accepted by the teacher. And the child said, well, my mother will be calling you. Oh. And that's when the mom said, I've, I've, I've crossed the line. I have not helped. Yeah. I've not helped. You know what, church? You, 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 are, you are wise when you learn from experience, but you are wiser when you learn from the experience of others. Trust me. Okay. Your child doesn't get into the college of choice. Your child has a falling out with a friend. And so your child comes home and there's a lot of drama. Right? A lot of drama. Hey, what your child doesn't need is a parent with a lot of drama where everybody's just losing their minds. Let them feel it. Let them feel it. Let them deal with it. Let them do the Matthew 18. What's that say? Look it up. Not now, later. (laughs) It it says, let them deal with it. That's what it says. (laughs) That's what it says. And when you do get involved, and you should, we should, yeah. We should. Ask your child this question, and it, and it needs to be asked this way. 
The question is simply this. Did we do any learning? <laughs> Did we do any learning? Now, you know, sometimes we get involved by asking the right question the wrong way. I know how to do that. I'm good at that. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 the why did you line of questioning, right? Why did you line of questioning? That, that never works with children. It rarely works with adults. It, it doesn't work in marriage. I mean, how many of you can stand up here and say, oh yeah, I tried that. Why did you question with my spouse? And oh, oh, we had a wonderful, wonderful evening after that. Yeah. <laughs> right. My son wants to study volcanoes, you know. We were talking about that yesterday. If you want to see a volcano blow, ask that question. Why did you? Oh, wow. That's beautiful. <laughs> but when you ask the, did we do any learning? Followed by, how do you mean? How do you mean? Notice, again, I'm being technical here. But words and inflections matter. I didn't say, what did you mean? But how do you mean? I know I'm going to get emails from English teachers. It's a grammatically incorrect way of, I know that. Work with me. <laughs> how do you mean? See, did we do any learning? And how do you mean? Because you see, we do need to, you know, we... we we do need to examine and understand and learn from the loss. We do. We need to do what, uh, what Jim Collins talks about in his uh, book uh, on business called From Good to Great. We need to conduct, and here's the phrase, an autopsy without blame. An autopsy without, where we examine this loss, we examine the body, and what did we do any learning? What have we learned? What have we learned? You see, the deal is, <laughs> the, those who succeed and those who do not succeed, what, what sets those two apart is not the fact that, it's not the fact that winners never lose. It's, it's that winners lose less in the future and do not lose the same way that they lost the last time because they've learned from the loss and they don't repeat the pattern. We need to just let our children make new mistakes. We're making the same old mistakes, and let's avoid that. And let's just, let's just let any mistakes that we make, just let them be new mistakes. Those who perpetually fail do so because they often carry the loss or pattern ahead into the next venture or the next relationship, and so they repeat the same pattern of losing. And so it is hard to grieve over a loss to look at that body and to examine and learn from it. But so often we want to avoid that grief. And so we just kind of shoot to the next idea or the next relationship. And, and that euphoria of what's new takes us away from really studying and learning and examining. And what happens is we stay away from this, we rush into this, and then this crashes and burns and, and we don't learn. And we end up repeating the same mistake over and over and over again. Let them fail. And then ask, did we do any learning? That's lesson number one. That's, that's a lesson for the head. Now here's a lesson for the heart, okay? And it's simply this. Reassure them. Let them fail and then reassure them. 
reassure them. And by that I mean, we say to our children, when you lose, when you lose, when you lose, you will not lose my love. You will not lose my love. You will never lose my love. It means that we teach our children that it's, it's more important for them to do their best than it is for them to be the best. What do you think that would look like for your child? Think about that for a minute in your life, in your case, in your scenario. What would that look like? What would such reassurance look like? Would it mean words of assurance? Would it? Would it mean an affectionate hug? Would it mean the gift of time? Would it mean a well-written letter? What would it mean? to reassure them that when they lose, what they won't lose is your love. Huh? I'll tell you, here's how it looked for one uh, adult child. During the 1992 Olympics in Barcelona, Spain, the gun sounded for the 400-meter semifinals. About 100 meters into the race, Britain's Derek Redmond crumpled to the track. He blew his right hamstring. Medical attendants rushed out to assist him. Redmond waved them off, struggled to his feet, crawled and hopped in a desperate effort to finish the race. He just wanted to finish the race. Up in the stands, this guy wearing a T-shirt and tennis shoes and a Nike cap that said, just do it. I mean, he barreled out of the stands, hurled aside the security guard and ran to Derek Redmond's side and embraced him. It was his dad. Jim. And now his arm was around his son's waist and Derek's arm around his dad's thick shoulders and neck. They continued down the track and they worked their way around until finally they crossed the finish line together to the roar of a standing ovation there in that stadium. Reassure them. You, when you lose, you're not going to lose my love. You're not. When you fail, you're not going to lose my love, okay? That's a lesson for the heart. And then here's the lesson for the hands, all right? Lesson for the hands. The head, the heart, and the hands. And that lesson is simply this. Encourage them. Encourage them. And I think this is the hardest lesson, church. And here's why. We're talking about loss. Right now, God is calling some of our children to a life of loss. He is. You know, we go on these missions trips to Peru, Dominican Republic. You know, these real neat trips where we get to go and fly somewhere, right? Parents, I mean, may I reiterate that if our children get involved in such ventures, I mean, God may actually get a hold of their hearts. We talk around this place about our vision being passionately pursuing Christ. Hey, some of our kids might actually do that. Yeah. And, and so that means that they may very well be led to a life, which means they're not going to make the kind of money that we make. Or they're not going to live in the kind of homes that we're going to live in. Or they're not going to have the kind of status that we're going to have. You understand that, don't you? Do you? Huh? In his book, The Parents We Mean to Be, author Richard Weisberg, he talks about the, the, the praise craze 
and the achievement obsession, which is a reflection of, he uses this phrase, parental status anxiety. Parental status anxiety. And then he says this. He says, it seems that the more successful parents are, the more likely they are to worry about their children's possible failure to live up to that success. But I'm going to tell you a picture of success in God's eyes. The picture of success in God's eyes is about letting the child who belongs to God Letting God have his way with our child. You see, that child's, they're just temporary in our home. They are. They're just eating our granola for a little while. Yeah. They belong to him. Do you understand that? Consider the prophet Ezekiel. God said to Ezekiel, son of man, that's how he addressed him. God said, I'm sending you to the nation of Israel, a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They they and their ancestors have been rebelling against me to this. How would you like to pastor that church? (laughs) This is where you're going, Ezekiel. All right. What if that were your child? Yeah, let's let's replay that verse, okay? Randy, the Lord said, I am sending, and you put in your child's name, your child's name. I'm going to send Ben, I'm going to send Brandon to the nation of Israel, a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their ancestors have been rebelling against me to this very day. Next slide. They are a stubborn and hard-hearted people, but I am sending your child's name, yours, to say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Next slide. And whether they listen or refuse to listen, for remember, they are rebels. At least they will know that they've had a prophet among them. See? Are you willing to let God have your way with your child if that's their future, the future that he's called for his child that he's put temporarily in your custody? Are you? Some of you have asked me over the years, um, so what do you think about your boy? Do you think they're going to follow in dad's footsteps in the ministry and, and all of that? Do you think that, that might happen? Do you think that, that's a possibility? And uh, you know what? Um, I've never encouraged them toward that. I, I, you know what? I have not encouraged and, and, uh, and I've never expected them toward that, and I never will. because I realize that it's got to be a calling. Um, And quite frankly, church family, it's hard. It's just hard. And it's like, I've been in some congregational meetings And I've been in some elders' meetings. 
And it's just, and I'm thinking, you know, why would I want that? You know, I mean, it's hard. And I live in Southwest Champaign. Okay? I mean, it's hard, and, you know, I make enough money to have my shirts done. So, but it's his, they're, they're his. Your kids are God's. They're God's. So, and, and the, the, the beauty of, see, the thing, the thing we're seeing when I talk about hands, I'm not talking about your hands. I'm talking about their hands. Because those hands are nail-pierced hands. And God may be calling them to that. And, and, and the, the beauty of the gospel is, and especially if you read Ezekiel, where he says, I'm sending you to these stubborn people, and they're stubborn, and they're rebels, and this is where you're going to be. And, and, and it's like, oh, oh, but then, oh, here's the beauty of it. God says to Ezekiel, they're stubborn. Oh, but Ezekiel, I'm going to make you even more stubborn. I'm going to make your forehead like flint. Oh, they don't know stubborn until they see you, Ezekiel. And some of your eyes have lit up. You're going, oh, I see now my, why my child is so stubborn. They're, God's calling them. Okay, yeah, all right, I get it. Yeah, okay, I get it. <laughs> my, my kid's stubborn. They're going to be missionary. Well, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. But you see... Why would we rob our child from the blessing that God is going to call them to a life that he has for them, a life of faith, a life of trust? That's our faith, the way of the cross. Our faith is, a, our faith is lived over three days. Friday, there's always going to be a cross, but Sunday's coming. Sunday's coming. Crucifixion Friday. Resurrection Sunday. Oh, yeah. And in the meantime is this long, silent Saturday. Sometimes we rush from Friday to Sunday too quickly, don't we? And Saturday, that's the long day. You know what? It's really Saturday. We're going through the long Saturday right now. And, and we, you know, we look at the crucifixion from the other side of the resurrection. But I'm telling you, it's Saturday. Sunday's coming. And that's our vision. Amen? Oh, God. We need you on this Saturday. (laughs) Help us to see loss and failure and disappointment. Help us to receive those as gifts. Gifts that you allow us to experience so that we will rely upon you. 
because only you can raise the dead. You, Jesus, are our vision. And we need you. We love you. Thank you. Amen. We're going to sing that hymn now, Be Thou My Vision. And that's going to get us ready to take communion, which is about loss that was transformed into victory from the God who allowed his son to die so that we could have life. Katie? Mm -hmm.